Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. We are continuing in our series on spiritual gifts today, and we'll pick up where Pastor Roy left off last week. This is the fourth sermon in this series, and today Pastor Roy will continue to look at and define specific spiritual gifts that are found in the Bible. We encourage you to open up your Bible and follow along. We're continuing on uh, with our series, uh, Spiritual Gifts. Uh, Last week we talked about fitness and function, and we're going to continue on uh, with part four, fitness and function. Um, Last week we talked about the fact that there are speaking gifts and serving gifts uh, within the church. And so we're going to talk more about those uh, today. And God has fitted us to be able to do those kind of uh, things. First verse we're going to look at today is Ephesians 4, 8. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, talking about Jesus, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So Jesus gave gifts to men. The first gift that he gave to us was the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given as a gift to the church. When was that gift given? Well, it was given in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. That's when it was given. Pentecost uh, refers to the Feast of Weeks or the Harvest Feast. It took place 50 days after Passover, so in May or June. The priest would actually take two loaves of bread and he would wave it as an offering before the Lord, uh, thanking him for the grain that had been provided for them to be able to produce the product. And they would participate in a meal as well. These 120 people then that gathered in Acts in the upper room were really a sign of the first fruits of others who would become believers when God sent the Holy Spirit to the church. This coming of the Holy Spirit does some things, and that's why I want to go back and and revisit this for a moment. The Holy Spirit infuses us with power for service. He gives us gifts, and He infuses us with power for service. We could not carry out the function of whatever gift we have or gifts we have without the Holy Spirit infusing us with power. And so it comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice he says in Acts 1-8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So it is vital. Remember we said that the spiritual gifts are an expression of the Spirit of God and it's an expression of the grace of God. As the grace of God operates in our life, the Spirit of God is operating in our life, and when the Spirit of God is operating in our life, the power of God is unleashed in our life. And we see this happen in the church, early church, at Pentecost. Oswald Chambers made an interesting statement. He said, there is one thing we cannot imitate. We cannot imitate being full of the Holy Spirit. You can't, you can't fake that. You either have it or you don't in the fullness of His Spirit. Secondly, the Holy Spirit implants spiritual gifts in us for service. The verse we just read a moment ago, therefore it says, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives, He gave gifts to men. 
Now, women too. It's not just men, men in general, but it's mankind. Uh, he implants spiritual gifts in us for service. Now, if we go back to Pentecost, when the Spirit of God came, it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues, and when they spoke in tongues, they were actually speaking in a known language, a native language, but the language was not their native tongue. They were speaking in someone else's language. And when they did, that was signifying the fullness of the Spirit of God. And then right after that, Peter gets up and preaches a message to the people. And 3,000 people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, why do I share that? I share that because when the Holy Spirit came and the power of God came upon His people and Peter stood up and declared God's Word, he was using a spiritual gift, preaching, teaching God's Word. And it was once the Holy Spirit came, the gifts were unleashed. And we see it immediately right after the Spirit of God came. So when the Spirit of God, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, you have been given a gift. You have a responsibility before God to use that gift. And there are many opportunities within the church to use that gift. But again, it's in relationship to this expression of the Spirit of God and the grace of God in our lives. And here's what I want, want us to look at for a moment. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter got up and preached, he said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Here's what I want you to recognize in his preaching of the message of the gospel. Remember what I said at the very outset, the very first message I gave to you, I said there are four purposes of spiritual gifts. To equip God's people for works of service. Um, to edify the body of Christ. To magnify the what? The cross of Christ. What does Peter do when he's filled with the Spirit of God and he's preaching to these people? He's not just preaching anything. He is preaching a crucified Messiah because that is the only thing that will bring people out of their sin and into a saving knowledge of Jesus so they can have the Holy Spirit and have a gift and grow the church. And so I want us to see that all of our gifts are designed to magnify the cross. He goes on to say in verse, chapter 2, verse 36, listen to this. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made both him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. Now, Peter had the gift of preaching. He used Joel. He talked about prophecy. Uh, he used exhortation. He used all of those gifts in his message. And here's what happens when we use our gift. The Holy Spirit influences people to respond to the Word of God. Because here's what happened that day. In Acts 2.37, if you got your Bible, you may want to look at it. Now, when they heard this message that Peter preached being filled with the Spirit of God, preaching about a crucified Christ, it says they were cut to the heart. 
and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? In other words, we know we've got to respond. The Spirit of God has convicted us of our sin. We have been moved deeply. To be cut to the heart means I move deeply in my emotions, in my body. What shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then this, listen, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And then he says, with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So Peter's gift of preaching God's word brought conviction of sin because he preached about a crucified Christ. And that is a message we have to boldly proclaim as preachers and teachers of God's Word. Because to magnify the cross, and maybe your gift isn't that, maybe you have another gift, but whatever your gift is, it should be to magnify a crucified and risen Messiah. That's what it's all about. And I want to go back for a moment in Acts 6. In Acts 6, remember they were having trouble uh, with the uh, Greek-speaking Jews who had become believers in Jesus. They were having trouble getting them served, and so they decided they picked out seven men who would serve the people. They were full of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, and wisdom and faith. They used their serving gifts while the men used their speaking gifts. And here's what I want you to look at. Look down in verse 7. Acts 6, verse 7. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. See, there's, there's a growth. When people are filled with the Spirit of God, they're using their gifts, and grace is granted, the church grows. And so the question is, if the church isn't growing, is it... God's fault or is it our fault? If we, if we don't see the Spirit of God at work in our midst, I think some of us are so time-driven that if the Spirit of God actually fell at Bethesda Church and church time was over, we'd say it's time to go to lunch. Rather than sit here and soak in the Spirit of God and what He would want to say to us and teach us in bringing us to the Lord. And so may God help us do that. And I just want to encourage us in that as we seek the Lord. Last week, we talked about speaking gifts. We talked about apostle. We talked about prophet. We talked about evangelist. We talked about uh, the pastor-teacher um, gift, meaning shepherd, who cares for the sheep, who feeds the sheep, who protects the sheep, and guides the sheep. And Paul spoke to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 28. He said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So the Holy Spirit influences us to respond to the word of God. One of my prayers that I pray is that God's word will touch us and speak to us and move us. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. 
Next, the Holy Spirit illumines God's truth to us so we know how to live. Well, this is important because He's given us a gift, and we're to use that as we, we live our lives. Here's what He says in John 14, I will ask the Father, He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Here He's talking again about the Holy Spirit to teach us the Spirit of truth. He says in John 14, 26, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit guides us into truth. So you can't sit back and say, well, you know what? I don't really know what my gift is. Because the Holy Spirit will reveal your gift to you. And maybe you have to get involved in serving for him to show you what that gift is. And the way that gift is developed is you use it. And you develop it for God's honor and God's glory to get involved in the work and see. So the ignorance is removed when the Holy Spirit comes into our life and begins to show us what we need to do. All right, let's look again at some functions Here's what we looked at last week. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Now, to equip means to make fully ready. We are to be fully equipped, fully ready to serve the Lord. It means the idea of perfection and completion, that we are adequate and fit for service for the Lord. And notice it says to equip who for the work of ministry? Saints, the holy people, the ones who are set apart from sin, the ones who are devoted to God. That's the ones who are equipped because that's the only ones God can use. And so if there's things in our life where we're not surrendering to the Lord, we're holding on to things of the flesh or material possessions to the point where it's, it's choking out the word of God, we can't serve him the way he wants us to. And so the saints, to be devoted to God. And notice he says to equip the saints for what? The work of ministry. Yes, it's labor. (laughs) Yes, it's effort. It doesn't just happen. You have to put forth an effort. There's sacrifice involved. There's sweat and blood and sometimes tears are involved. And hurt and misunderstanding. And all those things are a part of it. I think I've experienced every one of them. More than once. And you have too if you've been involved in ministry. You've experienced it. For the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That's our motivation. So let's look at some of these. Here's some other ones. Teaching is a gift from the Lord. Not everybody has this gift. An instructor who teaches the truth of God's word in a clear and understandable way. And guess what? They do it with excitement. They don't bore people with the Bible. Now, I have, I have been under some teachers that put me to sleep. Quite frankly, I had a good nap. I mean, they just didn't seem to have the excitement and enthusiasm. They had the knowledge, but they just didn't seem to have the real gift of communicating that knowledge. And so there's a gift in teaching. Some consider it to be part of the gift of a pastor, a pastor-teacher. But in this... You root and ground people in doctrine. You teach them God's word in a plain, understandable, clear way so they can grasp it. 
You provide reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. They have a special ability to communicate God's Word so it makes sense to people. Now, some people are really, really good at teaching small children. Others of us are good with teenagers. Other people are good with adults. And so, even within teaching, there's a, there's a context that God gives us. You know, I think about the context of God calling us to Bethesda Church. And, you know, so that God knew that you would be the kind of audience that would laugh at my jokes. You know? <laughs> laugh. Okay? <laughs> um, so that you, we could, I, you could identify with my message. There's a context of, there's a fitness, I believe, of the pastor to the congregation and the congregation to the pastor or the teacher. God divinely orchestrates that. And I have loved learning about farming. Thank you, farmers, because I was so ignorant. Now I'm just, instead of tons ignorant, I'm just, you know, pounds ignorant. Um, I'm learning. Um, I've, made, I've put my own garden in. Um, I understand farmer pride. But teaching, um, I remember watching a, a, a lady, I went to an inner city and she was teaching these kids. I say teaching, they were running all over the place, running amok and I don't know how they had any organization to it, but she had a gift to pull those kids together and get their attention. That would have never worked for me. That context would have never worked. So even God gives a love for that. Uh, that they can do that. And so you develop that gift. I remember one lady was telling her class of students one time, she was saying, you need to expand your vocabulary. So in expanding your vocabulary, you need to say a word ten times, and you will own it. You will own that word. And so this little boy in the back, he just took it literally, and in a real low voice, he was like, Amanda, Amanda, Amanda. <laughs> um, I guess he wanted Amanda. Um, but anyhow, learning and developing the gift for the honor and glory of God. One theologian suggested that the exercising of the gift of teaching requires four loves. Okay, here they are. Four loves that we need to have. Number one, they love the body of Christ. They love the body of Christ. The people that they are teaching, you've got to love for them. Two, they love studying the Bible as well. They love studying and learning and spending time with the Lord. And by the way, when you love studying the Bible, you have a love relationship with God, right? You love his book, you love the, per the author. Thirdly, they love delivering the truth. They love to share God's word in such a way that the light bulb comes on. And somebody gets it and they see it and you're like, oh yes, wonderful. And it just, it brings joy to your soul, and they love simplicity. They don't talk in complexities. They break it down. They make it simple. They put the cookies on the lower shelf, as it were, so that it's understandable. But they have a passion to share God's Word with others. And that passion grows as you use that gift. Those gifts are designed for building up spiritual profit, advancement, edification to make believers more like Jesus, to make us 
and encourage us to live holy lives, to spur us on to love and good deeds. That's why the writer of Hebrews said, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. To stir up means to stimulate, to incite somebody to do something. All right, let's look at another one, encouragement or exhortation. It means to help, comfort, encourage. To help, comfort, and encourage. These people are able to take their, it's a transfusion of courage from your life to the life of another. A transfusion of courage. You speak courage into that person. See, encourage. Notice the word courage is in there. You encourage them by speaking encouragement into them. I remember as a young pastor, Dr. Crow was so good at that. I mean, you know, you preach the message, whether it was really good or really bad, he was like, oh, man, that was a great message. I mean, he just, you know, encouraged us as young pastors, came alongside of us, occasionally would type an email encouraging us in our task, uh, speaking courage into our lives. It is so vital. Do we all need that? We all need that. We need that encouragement. And some people, though, have a special gift for it. They can write a card, and they can make you feel like you can walk on water. I mean, they just have a gift with words. And some people have an extra special gift of that. Uh, They just speak encouragement to you. And and I know there's certain people, and I won't call out your names, who have that gift at Bethesda. And they'll come up and, you know, great message, you know, or whatever, and just encourage you. Uh, Or with a note. Uh, And many of you have written notes of encouragement. And what an example that is. And an encouragement it is. An exhorter is someone who can give you practical steps to help you grow. I mean, they can just kind of lay it out. Here, 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 they'll open God's Word and they'll say, here's what you need to do. They're, they're, they're good at counseling. They'll see your life situation and they can apply Scripture to your situation and encourage you to walk with the Lord. Tell you what steps you need to take to do that. They can admonish you. And the purpose is to strengthen and establish that person in the faith. And they have that ability to do that. Another uh, definition that I've heard that's a great definition of encouragement, okay, a transfusion of courage from your life to the life of another. Here's another one. The art of applying love to fear. Think about that. The art of applying love to fear. Jesus did that with the disciples all the time. They were fearful. He's like, why are you so fearful? Why are you so afraid? And he spoke to their fear. He encouraged them in their faith. Aquila and Priscilla would be examples of exhorters. They pulled Apollos. Apollos was a man who was gifted in the scriptures. And they encouraged him in the scriptures. It says that he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. And he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he was fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately concerning or the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. And it says, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They didn't belittle him, they didn't criticize him. 
they pulled him aside and bolstered him up in his faith and said, hey, you are gifted. God has given you a special gift and ability, but let us share some things with you that will make you even better. <laughs> and that's what it's all about, that we sharpen one another. And that's what they did. Let's go on to another one, serving. Serving is to wait on someone at a table. That's what it literally means. And it means a servant, work done to benefit others, working with your hands to accomplish a task, serving. It actually, a word that is related to it is the word diakonos, which means deacon. A deacon is a servant. They minister, they care for and support ministry. They have the ability to assist and support others in practical ways and they often work behind the scenes. They help the ministries that are more visible to run smoothly. We have somebody up there running sound today. They loaded the PowerPoint. They run the camera. All those things that are required to do, running the computer, and all that helps us accomplish ministry. On Wednesday night, we have people come in and set up tables. And uh, Mike has been doing that, Mike Guthrie, and doing a wonderful job. It's a behind-the-scenes, a thankless job. But yet, what would happen if those tables and chairs weren't set up? Uh, there's other people that come in and, and do various ministries, uh, work in the library and things like that, um, so that you have resources to use. Well, that is serving the body of Christ. Uh, we have people that run the donut shop. Uh, that's a servant mentality to serve in the body of Christ. We are going to need an army of people. And by the way, just because you say, well, I don't have the gift of service, so I don't have to do that. That's not quite the way it works. <laughs> we are all to be serving in the body of Christ. And you say, well, that's not my gift, so you go right ahead. And no, that doesn't really let us off the hook. Uh, fulfilled of the Spirit of God. It just means that some people have a, a special gift and get special joy out of doing that. Examples are Epaphroditus and Dorcas. Epaphroditus risked his life for Paul, put his life on the line. Uh, but he ministered and it said he cared for the needs of the apostle. And we also see Dorcas in Acts 9.37. It says she was always doing good and helping the poor, abounding with deeds of kindness. That was Dorcas. We also read about another lady in Romans chapter 16, Phoebe. It says she was a helper of many. And so there's that service mentality. Remember Mary and Martha were busy and Mary was sitting and worshiping at the feet of Jesus and Martha's running around serving and doing all that stuff. And which one did Jesus condemn? Well, he rebuked Martha why? Because serving is bad? No, it was her attitude that was wrong. So we can even be involved in a spiritual gift and using that gift, but if we do it with the wrong attitude and the wrong spirit, we do it begrudgingly, <laughs> uh, we're, we're going to lose the blessing. She needed to spend time with the Lord Jesus Christ and do it out of a heart of love for God instead of complaining. And so it's vital that we learn to do that. Oswald Ch Chambers said this about Christian service. He said, Christian service is not our work. Loyalty 
to Jesus is our work. I like that. Christian service is not our work. Loyalty to Jesus is our work. He goes on to say that Christian service is the vital, unconscious result of the life of a believer in Jesus. It just flows out of you because you want to magnify the cross. You want other people to know Jesus. You want to see the church grow and become mature. And every one of us have a, an opportunity and a responsibility. And, you know, when we look at the spiritual gifts, you see them listed some in Ephesians 4. You see them listed in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and 1 Peter 4 that we talked about. But in Romans 12, it's interesting how it's listed in there because here's what it says. If your gift is serving, it says, let him serve. If it is giving, let him give. If it is leading, let him lead. Notice it says, let him. Now, again, that's generic, him, her. But here's the point. Let him. Give them the opportunity to serve. But understand that with opportunity also comes responsibility. There's a responsibility we have to serve the Lord. If they have that gift, give them the opportunity, but understand that with that opportunity is a responsibility. And the first responsibility that we have is faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people, you cannot delegate ministry to them because they are not faithful. You see, one of the things that God looks for, remember the eyes of the Lord range to and fro to look at those whose hearts are committed to Him. Faithfulness to God is vital. God will reward us with opportunities if we are faithful to Him. And if we are faithful in smaller tasks, He can give us greater responsibility. We've got to be faithful in a small task to be given greater responsibility. We also see the greatest act of service in Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And it's interesting because at the beginning of John 13, before he launches in and he puts that towel around him and he fills that basin of water and he washes their feet, it says he wanted to show them the full extent of his love. And he did it through serving. The full extent of his love. And you see, because here's what happened. In the Greek world and in the Greek mind, if you ask them who's greater, the one who serves or the one who is being served, you know what the Greek would have said? The one being served is greater. Jesus said it's actually the opposite. It's the one who serves is greater than the one being served. He, he totally reversed it and, and totally blew them out of the water with that idea showing them the full extent of your love. And I think when we serve, the first love that we show is love for God. And then the second one is our love for our neighbor. Let's move on. Giving. Giving has to do with generosity and sincerity. They give to the Lord's work with cheerfulness. They love to give. They are spontaneous in their giving. It brings great joy to them to move God's enterprise another step in the right direction. They're just excited about it. They, they love to give to bless others in ministry and to meet a need. And they, never, they don't do it to draw attention to themselves. 
It's not like, well, you know, I'll give you that as long as you put my name on that next building, you know. I mean, I, I, we have thanked the Lord so many times for the person who donated money so we could buy the property next door. I mean, we have thanked the Lord so many times. And see, it's that heart of giving that allows ministry to happen, maybe in some ways that would never happen. And I can tell you, I was reflecting back on this because we had a building committee meeting this week. And reflecting back on sitting in my office with the neighbors who lived in that house, and we left that meeting that night thinking, this will never happen, <laughs> right? We'll never get this property. And we were just ready to kind of write it off. And we said, wait a minute. Let's keep the door open. And not only was it open, man, God just did an amazing thing. So when we give ourselves to the Lord, it is amazing what can happen. I'm excited about the next chapter, what God can do if we are surrendered to Him and we use our gifts and talents. God is not interested near as much in brick and mortar as He is building people. Because bricks and mortar, I mean... It can't reach people. It can't save people. It can't equip people and change people. But we, using our gifts and talents, can. And that's what God wants to do. And He wants to use you in a great way. God has blessed them to be able to give. And they do so with a generous heart. Acts 4, 36, it says, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid at the apostles' feet. He's just like, here it is. <laughs> what, what, what do we need? What do we need? And boy, it just brings joy to their heart when they see something being done with it. Mercy is another one. To show compassion on a person in unhappy circumstances. This person has an active desire to remove a person's misery. It is an act of giving relief to a person in affliction, a person who is hurting, who is in pain. You know, they're going to be the type of person who will come and just sit with them, and they don't even need to say anything. They'll cry with them. They'll take them where they need to go. They'll bring them a meal. They'll just do whatever is needed. They have such a heart of mercy, they can't stand to see somebody else hurting. They would rather bleed than see that person bleed. <laughs> I mean, that's what a mercy person does. They just, they're able to do that. They express a greater degree of tenderness, even often by their word of mouth as well. They're able to soothe someone going through a painful trial there's a man by the name of Joseph Bailey. He lost three sons, and he experienced this kind of soothing comfort. But let me show you the contrast, because he had two different people come to try to bring comfort to him. He said, I was sitting, torn by grief. Someone came and talked to me of God's dealings, of why it happened, of hope beyond the grave. He talked constantly he said things I knew were true. I was unmoved, except to wish he'd go away. He finally did. Another came and sat beside me. He didn't talk. He didn't ask leading questions. He just sat beside me for an hour or more, listened when I said something, answered briefly, 
prayed simply, and left. He said, I was moved. I was comforted. I hated to see him go. You see, a mercy shower understands. <laughs> they can just sit and be quiet. One of the things that Dr. Kroll shared with us as young pastors, he said, he said, one mistake that young pastors often make is when they go to minister to someone who's in great pain is they talk way too much. <laughs> you just talk way too much. You need to sit and listen. Listen to them share and just be that listening ear. That's what Job needed from his friends, right? And they're like, Job, what's the sin in your life? What's wrong? What's wrong with you? I mean, they weren't mercy showers. <laughs> Judging him, condemning him. Uh, thank God for mercy showers that have that empathy and that care when we desperately need it. I think about Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus was that kind, of, that kind of man. Paul said, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Let's go on, leadership. Leadership carries the idea of steering a ship. It is actually a nautical term. And so it's the idea of steering a ship to oversee and guide God's people. They cast vision. They can navigate through the sandbars in the water. They can miss the jagged rocks that are sticking up out of the way. They see what's coming. And they're able to prepare the people, whether the water is calm or rough. God is able to help them lead the people. By His Spirit, they can do it. To be Spirit-filled. They have good people skills and can humbly lead people to accomplish God's agenda. Listen, to accomplish God's agenda and not their own. That's what it's all about. They do it with zeal. They do it with haste. They do it with earnestness. They do it with diligence, not slothfulness, not laziness. They do it with all their heart with fervor to honor the Lord. Praise God for wonderful Christian leaders uh, that we have. I'm going to give you one more this morning, faith. Faith is conviction, belief in the truth, And I would add one thing to it. Notice it says, unusual ability to trust God. These are people that can see the answer <laughs> before it's even there. I think of George Mueller, who had the orphanages in England. George Mueller would sit the kids down at the dining room table with no food in the house. And he had the kids bow their heads and pray for the meal with no food in the house. And invariably, there was a knock on the door and food was available. Or the milk truck would break down right in front of their house and milk was available. He was an unusual man of faith. God gives some people an unusual amount. George Mueller never solicited people for funds for his ministry. He prayed the money in and he trusted God. In an unusual ability to trust God. And there are some people that are like that. They just have an unusual ability. 
Reminds me of the, in a farming community, it hadn't rained for a long time. Things were getting desperate. The ministers decided to gather the people together to call a prayer meeting. They said, look, we want the whole town to come together for a prayer meeting and to bring their religious symbols with them. So the whole town showed up for the prayer meeting and people brought crosses. They brought Bibles. And they all cried out to God. They finished their prayer meeting and no rain was in sight and they all went home. The next day, though, in the town square where they had the meeting, there was a little boy. He went out to that town square and he said, Oh God, we need rain. Show your power and give us rain. The day before, with all the preachers and all the religious symbols calling on God, there was no rain. The day before, or the next day, the boy by himself shows up in the town square. And as he was praying, the sky got darker. As he was praying, rumbling occurred. And as he was praying, the shower hit and rain poured down. What was it about this little boy? He said the same things all the other people said the day before. The day before, they had all the preachers, the ministers that brought their religious symbols. But the day the young boy came when the clouds got dark, he lifted up the symbol that he brought, an umbrella. He expected it to rain. When you anticipate rain, you bring an umbrella. That's unusual faith. And God has given that gift to some people. And I'm glad he has. I close with this story that Gordon McDonald shares. In ancient days, when the king of Siam had an enemy he wanted to torment and destroy, he would send that enemy a unique gift, a white elephant, a live albino elephant. These animals were considered sacred in the culture of the day. So the recipient of that elephant had no choice but to intentionally care for the gift. This elephant would take an inordinate amount of the enemy's time, resources, energy, emotions, and finances. Over time, the enemy would destroy himself because of the extremely burdensome process of caring for the gift. Our spiritual enemy uses the same strategy on us. Let's say you buy season tickets to your favorite sports team. Now you've got to go to all those games and you don't have time to serve the Lord. Maybe you have a summer cottage and you miss most weekend services between May and September. Or let's say you buy a health club membership to get in shape. You used to get up early in the morning to read your Bible and pray, but now you don't have time because you're working out. Or maybe you've bought a boat or some other, or a camper or something that takes you away from surrendering to the Lord our entire life. Whatever it is, we need to give it to the Lord. So the question is this, are there white elephants in your life? Are you spending money on things that take your time away from God? Money isn't the problem. The activity isn't necessarily the problem. The problem is the white elephant gift that has pulled you away from God-honoring pursuits.
Let's stand for a word of prayer. I would ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just want to challenge you. Will this series make a difference in your life? That decision is actually not up to me. It's between you and the Lord. How is your life going to be different as a result of God revealing your spiritual gift? Where and when will you plug into the body of Christ to use that gift? I am so thankful, as I mentioned last week, that we have many gifted people in this church. But I think we have other people who have gifts that have not yet implemented them for one reason or another. It could have been ignorance. It could be fear. It could be lack of faithfulness. It could be lack of love for God or His people. I mean, there's many reasons. But none of those are good reasons. And we're all going to stand before God one day and give an account of what we've done with the gifts that He has given us. And how we've developed them and used them to do what? To magnify the cross. That's it. To magnify the cross of Jesus Christ that others might know Him. Whether we have a speaking gift or a serving gift, it all makes a difference in the family of God. And I want to encourage you, and if you don't know where to plug in, call me. Call Pastor Anthony. We'll help you find a place to get involved. We'll help you discover your gift. Don't be embarrassed. <laughs> Say, I want to know my gift. I want to use it. Maybe you're here this morning, you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. That's the first step to give your life to the Lord so He can give you His Holy Spirit to indwell you and empower you to be His child. And I would encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, would you give your life to Him? Would this be the day of salvation for you where you like when Peter stood up and preached, have been cut to the heart. But the Spirit of God has moved you. That's my prayer. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.